Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Wednesday, October 14th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Uh, shortly, we'll be joined by Mark Bona, our entertainment and sports history uh, writer, uh, talking about his uh, recent series that he posted on cleveland.com about the 1920 uh, Indians World Series win. And we'll, we'll get into the, uh, the, the ins and outs of how he put that series together. Uh, looking forward to talking to Mark. Uh, Hoynesy, the uh, the American League playoffs, the American League Championship Series continued last night. The Tampa Bay Rays uh, took a 3-0 lead on the Houston Astros, uh, really with their outfield defense. It was uh, it was something special to watch. Uh, Hunter Renfro, Manuel Margot, uh, making big plays uh, all over the place in the outfield. Uh, was was Renfro one of those guys that the uh, that the Indians had you know maybe wanted to sort of pry away from San Diego and just weren't able to? Yeah, he was always in the conversations, Joe. Always in the rumor mill. You know, the the outfielder they wanted, and and Margot was a, the, another one too. He was he was in there. Uh, so yeah, I mean I mean they've talked to. I bet they've talked about every team on on uh, San Diego I mean, San Diego's roster. They've they've made so many deals with them in right. the past two, you know two years. Uh, and then Kermeyer made those great catches out there. That was a great game. I mean, yeah. for and, uh, uh, for for Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff to see uh, Manuel Margot and Hunter Renfro out there making plays and making a difference in an AL Championship Series game like that uh, it has to be. Has to be kind of irksome, I guess, to for for them to do it. Just the the guys that got away, I guess. Yeah, and uh, what about Altuve? Altuve's got the yips or something. He's, he's I never Chuck thought Noblock. I'd see that. He's Chuck yeah, Noblock again. He can't again, go to he? second base anymore. <laughs> or and, he can't go to the base. He can't go to first base. Or... And Dusty Baker comes out and says after the game, "Well, he'll be starting at second base, uh, you know, tonight. I guess Wednesday night." So, uh, yeah, the the Rays can wrap it up and make it to the World Series with a win tonight. Uh, and you got to like their chances one way or another. Yeah, they're up 3-0, and uh, they've looked great. That bullpen, Joe. I mean, uh, Kevin Cash handles that pen like, uh, like uh, you know, a maestro. He, they, like Terry, and they've got like, so many. Like got Terry so Francona many, in 2016. Yeah, they've got so many different arm, you know, pitchers, arm angles, lefties, righties. I mean, it's, uh, that, that, that is a weapon right there. They've really developed something right there. All right. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, the Atlanta Braves versus Tampa Bay Rays uh, World Series matchup is the one that all of Major League Baseball wanted to see when, when this started. Could you could imagine if you're if you're the Dodgers, if you're the Dodgers front office, or if you're the, their manager, and, and if you get swept here, you don't make it. There's there's no way Dave Roberts survives yeah. unless they win the World Series this year. So, uh, yeah. all right, all that well, money. Woo. Oh, and, and all that talent, that they're loaded. Yeah. They're loaded. There's no reason for them to not win. 
Uh, all right, well, we're going to uh, step aside here and, and, and bring in Mark Bona and, and talk to him about his uh, 1920 World Series uh, series that he posted on Cleveland.com, uh, and then we'll come back and wrap it up here on, on the podcast. All right, we're joined by Mark Bona, our entertainment and sports history uh, writer here at Cleveland.com. Uh, Mark, good to talk to you, and uh, really just want to dig into this this series that you wrote, uh, it just wrapped up on the 1920 Indians World Series Championship. Uh, really, it, it was uh, sort of historically accurate, the dates that, that they won the games. You had uh, posts on each date describing the wins and uh, the wins and losses and, and how uh, everything turned out. Uh, what did you learn about that 1920 team that you might not have known before? Well, um, there was a lot. It wasn't just this, this dominant team. They were very, very good, but fans were really treated all season long to an amazing pennant race. And a pennant race back then had a different type of excitement than ones today. Here you have now, what are we at? Half the teams in the, in the majors are making the postseason. There, you went for one shot to get to the series, and that was it. No playoffs, no wild cards, nothing like that. And it really was a race between Chicago, New York, and, and Cleveland. But what really made it amazingly exciting and, and very, very emotional was early on in the year, Stan Kowaleski, the Indians ace, in the middle of the season, his wife dies. He goes back home to the coal mining town of Pennsylvania, where he was from, deals with that, leaves his kids in his sister-in-law's care, comes back, deals with that and immediately starts playing and finishes the year with a 24 and 14 record. Now that was a harbinger to the most uh, popularized event of 1920 and really of the last hundred years in baseball. And that's the death of Ray Chapman. So Chapman of course um, gets hit in August, uh, dies really hours after the game in a New York hospital. The team is dealing with that. The person who it really affected the most was Tris Speaker. Mm -hmm. Tris Speaker was the player manager. He was aging, but he was still a phenomenal athlete and a great leader. He went into a very, very deep depression, pulls himself out of it, all of a sudden goes from, from night to day and leads this team uh, toward the end of the pennant race and where they face the Brooklyn Robins uh, in a then best of nine series. And that's the other neat thing I learned. I thought there were a bunch of series at the beginning of the century uh, that were best of nines, and there weren't. There were only four, 1903 and then 1919 to 1921. So the world is watching the Indians. Brooklyn on paper supposedly is a favorite, but all the writers are saying the emotional high is going with Cleveland because of what they've been through. And, and also we have to remember, and people forget this, it was just a year earlier when the Black Sox scandal took mm -hmm. place. So baseball is just reeling from one of its worst black eyes ever. Some people say that and steroids were the two worst uh, scenarios that the, that the league has felt. And, and all of a sudden, uh, a year later, right around the time of the series, these guys are, are going to court. So the, the world was looking at Cleveland and Brooklyn, and, and then, we, then we start the series, and it was, it was something else. Uh, go ahead. Mark, what uh, if what uh, effect on the Indians did uh, Chapman's death have? I, I read the book, uh, you know, the pitch it killed, and uh, I was amazed at the reaction, the citywide reaction to it. Just you know, the the the, the whole city kind of kind of grieved, went into uh, you know just attending the funeral, the whole thing. What 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 effect did you think that, that or have you learned that 
uh, that the t that they had that uh, Chapman's death had on the team? Well, I think it was really, really difficult. Uh, for for one thing, the team you're talking about a, guy, a bunch of guys in their 20s, and a, and a player had never died like this, and and even since has never died like this. Nobody knew what, how to react. You had even had some infighting on the team. Uh, Chapman and his wife were of different religions. And for whatever reason, some of his teammates really wanted to weigh in with where he was going to be buried. Uh, one was Protestant, one was Catholic. You had Tris Speaker, who was Protestant, and Steve O'Neill and Jack Graney, who I believe were both Catholic, literally coming to blows over this. So that was one immediate, immediate effect. Uh, the team wore black mourning bands, one of the earliest signs, I think, in baseball where, where that happened. They threw a kid named Harry, I believe his name is Harry Lunty, into the lineup. He was the first immediate replacement for Chapman. He initially did well and then tailed off. And then behind the scenes, the front office had to deal with who exactly was going to be um, brought up to replace uh, Chapman. And they brought up uh, a then unknown kid who they were trying to keep a little quiet, I think from Alabama named Joe Sewell. Sewell, of course, would go on and have um, a phenomenal 14-year career, hit so well, never struck out, and was really beloved. And I mean, really a great, great player. And the interesting thing here, and this has a lot to do with Chapman's death and sportsmanship, in that when Sewell was brought up, he was brought up in early, the first week of September. It was days after the roster submission deadline had been uh, passed. So Brooklyn had to okay the fact that Cleveland was adding a player, but they knew why Cleveland was adding it. They waived the rule and said, go ahead, put him on the, put him on the roster. So you had a lot of baseball, you know, situations going on and you had the emotional fact that these guys just about six weeks or so right before the series having to deal with, with the death of a teammate. Mark, how did you go about, you know, uh, a lot of these, these clips and, and the information and, and photos, uh, how did you go about for for this series that you put together, uh, gathering just the information and, and, and reading up on the articles and uh, finding visuals for this uh, to, to post here on Cleveland.com? <laughs> yeah, the visuals were, were probably the toughest, toughest aspect. Um, well, Paul referred to a book called The Pitch That Killed by Mike Stowell that came out in 1989. And over the years, it's been optioned for potential uh, movies. And one might be in the works right now. Um, Mike Sowell is a former sports writer and professor in Oklahoma. One of the single greatest pieces of reporting on any aspect of sports ever. He focused as much on Carl Mays as he did Ray Chapman. So he really pieces together uh, a lot of details. Um, a couple of people in the Society for American Baseball Research wrote a biography a few years ago on Wilbert Robinson. Robinson was the manager of the Robins, of course, named after him the way that was fairly common back then that has some good detail and then the plain dealer had some excellent coverage because it would be exactly like what we would do now and what we've done with you guys it's multiple people covering covering the games we threw a lot we i say we like we were all there <laughs> through a lot on on the series and and it really was an amazing series when you when you take a look at it um there were a lot of neat things you know obviously this is before fantasy, stats, TV, even radio was really not of coming of age just yet. And so you had these giant live scoreboards that were put up um, all over the place. One big one was right outside the old plane dealer offices. You were gathering because they were all day games. They all began at two o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. you, were, you, were you were having 
thousands of people gather to watch every little movement on this live scoreboard, which I thought was, was pretty neat. Um, and there was just so much in the series. And then, of course, you know, we're, we're sitting here talking about this and all the history and everything that leads up to it. But then there was some on-field and off-field antics that happened during the series that was just absolutely amazing. Um, probably the, the most important game of the series was game five. Uh, you had several things took place that were just unbelievable. Number one, you had Elmer Smith um, hit a grand slam. It was the first ever uh, in, a, in a World Series. Jim, Jim Bagby, a pitcher, hit a home run. Uh, that was, that's so rare anyway, and it's going to be, I don't know if that'll ever happen with, with DH in place. But uh, and Bagby, interestingly enough, I think hit only two in his entire career. Uh, and then, of course, the most famous uh, note of all, Bill Wamby having an unassisted triple play. And by all accounts that I read in both books and newspapers, it was fascinating because the, 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 the electric atmosphere, people were so into the game and they were cheering. And you guys have covered so many huge games. You know how big a postseason game is with fans and how the press box literally physically shakes. Well, you had all of a sudden, everybody in the stadium just became quiet because they were trying to figure out what the heck just happened. I mean, it's a, it, unassisted triple plays, as rare as they are, when you think about it, that's a bang, bang, bang play. That's very yeah. fast. They had to figure out what's going on. Um, the other interesting aspect to make things worse for Brooklyn, Rube Markhard, one of their, their top pitchers, was, and you talk about the greedy of being greedy. Uh, he was trying to scalp his ticket allotment in a Cleveland hotel, and, and he unfortunately chose an undercover cop to, uh, to try to peddle <laughs> the tickets to. He gets busted. And in a show of sportsmanship again, the Cleveland authorities say, just come back in a couple of days. You can go to the stadium and play in, in the game uh, uh, tomorrow or today or whatever it was. And he, of course, he did. He pitched in a relief that day, and they lost. Uh, you had so much going on. You had uh, Duster Males uh, in game uh, in game six. Duster Males had been a late season call up. He was a very cocky guy. He came from basically I think a minor league team, and he went seven and zero with Cleveland. He goes to pitch in the World Series and says, "Boys, just give me one run," and that's all he got. One nothing. He gets the win. Goes the distance. Um, you had just so much going on, and then of course uh, Kovaleski. The story comes full circle. Uh, Kovaleski, of course who had lost his wife um, just months earlier, wins three games in the World Series. When I started out, and Joe, you were asking about the research and, and what I was reading. This was something that never registered with me. I never realized that Stan Kowaleski won three games. I started looking at that aspect because to me, that seems very rare. I believe it's happened only 13 times in, in the history since 1903. In 1903, it happened by two different pitchers, one of whom, Bill Deneen, was an umpire in the 1920 series. So, um, and then the other, that, that I thought was amazing. And then the only, um, you know, the other aspect I thought is, is to remind people, and you guys I'm sure know this, but in 1920, there was no uh, MVP given. Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't for, for quite a while. Baseball obviously was a lot different in a lot of ways. No night games, things like that. So if you had to give an MVP award, you, you really clearly to me, Kowaleski gets it with three W's in seven games. Uh, but the, the other aspect is Tris Speaker, who had pulled himself out of a depression, led the team uh, through his direction and guidance as a manager, also had a phenomenal series. He was eight for 25 at the plate. He scored six of the Indians' 21 runs. Doesn't sound like a lot, but neither team was scoring a lot in the series, and there were three shutouts involved. 
And he played a great series defensively as one of the oldest players on the field. So I think when you look back at this, if you're an Indians fan, you're really happy. They got their first win. They never lost at home in League Park in the series. But as a baseball fan, you really have to appreciate all the history, emotion, and drama that went on. Good. Right. Mark, one more thing. What, now, when Carl Mays hit, hit Chapman, did the Indians, what, they, 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 they tried to get a petition together to get him banned from, the, from baseball or something like that? Wasn't you know, there was a petition, and I want to say it wasn't Cleveland who started it. it was there was a, a lot of talk. Yeah, I St. St. Louis, I think, was involved, and okay. there were a lot of teams that were, were really, uh, really upset about it for two reasons. You had a situation where Ray Chapman is this beloved person and player. His teammates loved him. He was a good guy off the field, a teammate, a player's player on the field. But on the flip side, you had Carl Mays, who had this rare quality. You know, back then, half the guys were mean drunks. Carl Mays was not a drinker, yet he was a, a, known as to be a real SOB. He did not like his teammates. They did not like him. There were all sorts of stories long before he took the mound against the Indians that day. So, um, yeah, they, there was a petition, and there, people didn't like Mays. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was not good. Yeah, okay. What, what I really like, Mark, is that you, you included, like, little uh, – paragraphs or lead paragraphs from the game stories or the way got, you know, the way uh, uh, baseball was written back then. It was really interesting. And where, where did you find that stuff? Uh, the, the PD had all of that. It was absolutely amazing. I went back and got in, you know, we have, of course, a couple archive systems. I got into our older one. And as much as I like your writing, Paul, and yours, Joe, um, <laughs> it was fun to read that, but it made me appreciate your writing even more because you get to the point. <laughs> These guys were winding up with such flowery language. I did get a kick out of it. There were it. no deadlines, man. That, man <laughs> that's actually, that's a great point. I had well, forgotten about that. And there weren't a lot of- had all night to write and then they'd go out and yeah, drink. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and there weren't a lot of photos in the paper either. So they had a lot of space to fill. <laughs> they, they, they needed the extra words. That, that's, uh, yeah, I don't think there was much of an inch count back then <laughs> well it, 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 most of those papers were pretty gray with uh, with a lot of text uh it, it was a lot of fun to read the series it was a lot of fun to follow along hey you know uh the other historical aspect i guess of it is uh you know just as now uh they were coming out of a, a worldwide pandemic at the time uh just recently uh before that that series was played you know 2018 2019 or uh, 1918 1919 so uh, you know, maybe it bodes well for the Indians. Maybe uh, if uh, history repeats itself and it comes around in circles, uh, you know, coming out of a pandemic 100 years later, maybe the Indians have a shot to, to put something together. We certainly don't want to see them have to go through, uh, you know, tragedies the way that the, uh, the 1920 team did. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun to read. And, uh, you know, just talking about gets me, you know, gets me fired up. Really, I, I wish it was, a, you know, there was a real world series this year, not one on TV, you know, that you have, that you have to watch. But Mark, uh, again, just congratulations on a fantastic series. Uh, a lot of hard work went into it, I'm sure. Uh, and, and thanks for, for joining us and talking about it. Well, thanks guys. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your coverage. All right, Honesy, that was uh, Mark Bona and uh, just really great to talk to Mark and, and the, the work that he does uh, sort of taking in the, um, the historical aspect of some of these things, uh, you know, not related to what's going on on the field right now with the team. Uh, and, you know, he also covers some stuff at the ballpark for us. Uh, just just really a, a pleasure to read that series for Mark and, and sort of get caught up on that 1920 uh, uh, world championship for the Indians. 
Yeah, well, how would you like to cover a nine-game World Series, Joe, that goes the distance? I mean, you'd never Man, get I home. Would, I mean, I, I guess you'd get – you'd never be done. I, I would have liked to have covered a seven-game World Series this year. I, it wouldn't have mattered to me nine games, seven games, whatever. It, it would have been fantastic. But, uh, no, nine games, that's, that's quite a bit. But, again, like you said, those games were – they started at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and yeah. they were probably about two and a half hours long. So, uh, yeah, the, those would be easy. But, yeah. like you said, you threw a whole team of sports writers at, at those games, and, uh, you know, you probably had four or five stories on a, on a newspaper that, was maybe, that had maybe two photographs on it. So yeah. uh, plenty of room to write and, and all sorts of stuff. I bet you there were extra editions, too, you know, the extra, extra read all about it. I bet they were, they were cranking those well, babies out. Well, and like Mark said, there, there, wasn't a, there was no TV. There was not a lot of radio. It was, That's it, one, yeah. It was the only way to get any information about these games. So, and that's uh, when baseball was the king of sports. It was really the uh, national pastime. Yeah, a lot of fun reading up on that. All right. Well, we'll be back at it again, uh, wrapping up the rest of the week here. Uh, we, we actually – oh, before we go, we just found out uh, Jose Ramirez is the Cleveland Indians nominee for the Hank Aaron Award. Uh, Hank Aaron Award given out in each league every year uh, for – the, I guess the, the best regular season offensive performer in each league. Uh, other nominees in the American League, Jose Abreu, Mike Trout, Nelson Cruz, DJ LeMayhew, Brandon Lau, and Teoscar Hernandez. Over in the National League, I think Freddie Freeman's got a lock on the, uh, the National League one. Uh, Corey Seager, Dominic Smith from the Mets, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Paul Goldschmidt, and Juan Soto. So that's pretty good company just to be a nominee for Jose Ramirez. You're not uh, kidding. I would say that those are – I just named pretty much all the top offensive players in, in the game uh, this year, and Jose Ramirez is, is being mentioned with them. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I know Manny won it one year with, with the Indians. Yeah, like you said, Manny Ramirez, 1999 AL uh, Hank Aaron Award. Uh, and, and, again, that's, you know, potentially Jose Ramirez could be joining him. Yeah, the uh, man, he got it in uh, at Yankee Stadium during the World Series. They awarded him. Oh, there you go. All right. Well, uh, Hoinsey, we will be back at it tomorrow, uh, potentially talking about the Rays in the World Series and, uh, you know, what the next step is with the Dodgers and the Braves. And uh, join us here again next time on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Mm-hmm.